Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I do have the notes in the Bible app. You can go under events and you can see it there. Uh, this is what it says. I don't mean to say I have already achieved these things or I've already re reached perfection. Is anybody perfect in the house of God yet? All right, we're all in process. But I press on. Everybody say, press on. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Uh, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on one thing. I forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on. Everyone say press on. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let us who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Mighty God, I thank you for your word. It is correction, it is instruction, it's encouragement, it's rebuke, Lord. And I just pray your word would accomplish all that it needs to today. Lord, that you would minister in our lives, that you would move upon us, change us and transform us. May we come to know you in a deeper way than we do today. May we experience your presence and power in new levels, Almighty God. We commit this message to you. We pray that you give us liberty, freedom to receive all that you're Spirit is speaking today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things I learned as I have begun to study the Bible and, and work through Scripture, how many understand context is important? Context is important in the Bible. Um, you know, if you see a word like therefore in the Bible, you should find out what the therefore is there for, right? Look back. Why is Paul saying these things? Why is Jesus saying these things? They would build on certain ideas. And, and this is one of those passages. Um, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. He's writing to believers in Philippi, which is an area, it's a city in Macedonia. And he's dealing with certain things that he's struggling. In fact, you'll notice that the verse that we picked up on kind of picks up in the middle of an idea. He says, I don't, I, I, I'm not saying I've already achieved these things or I've already reached perfection. What are these things that he's talking about? Well, I, I want to look for a moment at the context and give you an idea. And I think it's going to help us because how many understand uh, God really does desire for us to press on to perfection. But what does that look like? How many know uh, that's a, that is a lofty goal if we're expected to be perfect? How are we going to do that? How are, what are we actually pressing on to as we are pursuing the perfection that God has laid out? Well, to give you some context, what essentially was going on in, in Acts chapter 16, you can read it on your own time. It's almost the entire chapter. The, the Apostle Paul has just recruited young Timothy. And, I mean, you just imagine, you're a teenager. You're living with your mom and your grandma Here's this apostle, he comes, he, your, your faith is stirred, your family becomes believers, and he recruits you. And you begin traveling, and I love, and this is what I encourage people all the time, if you don't know what to do for the Lord in a particular season, do 
something. Do anything. Find an area to serve. Lead a Bible study. Go pray for people on the streets. Do something. Don't just sit around and, well, I'm just going to hang out in church or go to a prayer meeting. And when I see a vision or when I, you know, a map falls down from heaven, then I'm going to know the Lord is speaking to me. It's not what Paul did. Paul said, the Bible says that he went. And as he was going, he was heading towards Ephesus. And the Bible says, the Holy Spirit says, nope, this isn't it. So he paused, he redirects, he goes up north. This is several days' journey, by the way. He goes up north and again says, nope, this isn't it, Paul. But you notice what he's doing. He's going for it. I don't know what the next step is, so I'm going to start moving. Are you guys hearing me today? If you're in a place, God, what do I do next? Do something. If you start moving the wrong way, Holy Spirit's going to say, nope, try this way. Nope, this is it. Well, Paul is praying, and he, is, he goes to sleep one night, and he has a dream. And in the dream, somebody comes to him and says, hey, come and minister to us in Macedonia. So he wakes up and says, I guess we're going to Macedonia, and that's exactly what they do. They end up in Philippi, a city in Macedonia. And let me tell you how his ministry began. The first preaching opportunity that Paul had in Philippi was in a life group that was right over here. In fact, was it Michelle's life group that was like women in the workplace? Yeah, business leaders. That's who Paul got to preach for first. You can read it in Philippians. He got to preach to a group of women who were business owners and leaders. And the Bible describes one of them that gets saved. Her name was Lydia. She was a seller of high-end fabric and dyes. Seller of purple, the Bible says. And she was very wealthy. In fact, they reference her later on. Most scholars believe that she almost single-handedly funded the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Woman. First one saved. Powerful testimony. So, you, you, I'm, I'm giving you a picture of what the Church of Philippi looked like. Business women. Praise God. Paul one day is walking to prayer meeting, and on the way, there's a little girl that begins to follow them along and says, listen to what these men have to say. They preach the way of salvation. Now, how many think, that sounds like a pretty good introduction. I mean, if you're starting to build a church, if you're starting a ministry, having somebody follow you around declaring, hey, listen to these guys. They know Jesus, and they're preaching the way of salvation. Problem the girl who was following them around was demon-possessed. And she wasn't making an authentic promotion of their ministry or being a good marketer for these guys. She was demonized and she was operating in mockery. So this goes on for days. I mean, you can just imagine every day he's walking to a service, he's walking to a prayer meeting, walking to the marketplace, and this same girl tends to pop out every time, begins to follow them around and harass them. This goes on for several days, and finally, Paul turns around, and he's irritated. I've always wondered, and you know, you theologians here, you may help me what you think. Uh, uh, I've always wondered, did he do the right thing here? Kind of got him in some trouble, but God gets glory. He turns around to this demonized girl, and he says, come out in the name of Jesus Christ. And immediately, that demon leaves this girl. Now, this causes problems. What was possessing that girl, the Bible calls a spirit of divination. In the Greek, it's pythos. It's where we get the idea of a python spirit. It's confusion and it's disorder and, uh, and all of this. There's a whole deal. Maybe we'll cover that on Sunday nights in a future week. But here she is. She gets free. And the Bible says that because of this demon spirit, she was able to tell people's fortunes. 
She was a slave girl, had several slave owners who would use her to fortune tell. Problem was, when that demon got broke off of her life, now she has lost the ability to tell the future. And her slave owners get upset. They arrest Paul. They arrest Silas. They beat them with wooden rods pretty brutally. We get a picture of later on. They beat them, and then they chain them in prison. So Paul and Silas decide we better start prison ministry. Praise the Lord. They begin, the Bible says, they begin to pray and they begin to praise and they begin to worship. Listen, friend, you don't underestimate the power of praise and prayer and worship if you're in a jail cell. If you're in the roughest time of your life, you better be praising Jesus. We don't need to take on the spirit of Eeyore. Now, that's not Greek. You know who Eeyore is, right? Like the woe is me kind of thing. You ever see people come up to you like this and you just know they're coming to you to complain? Like I hide from people like that. I'll just be honest with you. I don't do that. No, because we're victorious overcoming people. If you're saved, you have victory in Christ Jesus. If you're going through hell, don't stop. All right. So. We're not taking on the spirit of Eeyore. So these guys, they're in prison. They've just been beaten for casting out a demon. And they're praising and they're worshiping. And I just get this goofy picture in my mind that I think the Lord liked their praise and their worship so much. He's up there in heaven. He starts tapping his foot. And all of a sudden, the ground starts shaking. The prison doors, they bust open. The chains fall off. And and now they're free. They don't leave quite yet, but the prison guard, he wakes up, and and he's so afraid, he's so concerned, man, I, I lost the prisoners, and the Bible says that he took up his sword and was about to kill himself, and Paul cries out, he says, don't hurt yourself, we're all still here, we're here. They end up ministering to this man, they end up meeting this man's wife, Children, their entire household. And the Bible says that this jailer gets saved. They get baptized. And in an act of service, the Bible says that the Philippian jailer and his wife literally washed and cleansed the wounds of Paul and Silas. I want you to think about this. Paul's church has grown now. He has a group of business ladies. He has... A formerly demon-possessed slave girl. And now he's got a prison, uh, you know, a prison warden, essentially, and his family. And this is his church. This is a pretty neat church, don't you think? Humble beginnings, wonderful church. And so Paul pours time into this. He's raising up leaders and elders. He goes, and as we read between the lines, by the time the gospel uh, or the Philippians picks up, there's something that's happened. There were people called Judaizers who came into the church. You know what a Judaizer is? Judaizers were individuals who were Jewish by religion and uh, by uh, ethnicity. But then they came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But rather than adhere to the salvation by grace through faith, they began to say, you know what, Jesus is great. Yes, he's the Messiah, but... You also need to be circumcised, and and you can't, you know, no Kahlua pig, no coconut shrimp. You can't be eating this kind of stuff. You gotta, you gotta eat this way, you gotta live this way, you gotta do these things. And they began to institute the law. 
Now, Paul hears about this, and it makes him mad. It's the primary reason he begins to write the book of Philippians. Because he begins to straighten out. Do you think that you're going to save yourself? None of us were able to save ourselves. In fact, Galatians talks about how the only thing the law ever did for us was show us how much we needed a Savior. You understand that? You ever read the Ten Commandments and like, yeah, I've blown it, I've blown it. And the Bible says that if you've sinned in one area, you've sinned in it all. We've all blown it. I've got bad news for you today. We've all sinned. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. If you could earn your salvation, you would have done it already. There was only one person who ever lived in such a way that they were not deserving of judgment. And that was God in the flesh, the man, Jesus Christ. He's the only one. Every one of us. You understand, on judgment day, the Bible says that we're not going to be judged in comparison to your neighbor. I'm not going to be able to stand and, well, I'm pretty sure I did better than Kevin here, so Lord, let me in. You understand? I'm not going to get in because my wife is a woman of great faith. In fact, I heard one preacher say this week that God doesn't have grandchildren. He has sons and he has daughters and that's it. You're not going to get in because mom and dad had faith in Jesus Christ. You need to have faith in Jesus Christ. You understand? That's bad news. We've all fallen short. Every one of us deserve hell. Because God is a just God. And any just judge will punish injustice. And we've all failed in the law. This is bad news. The good news is that Jesus Christ himself shed his blood to atone for our sin. He lived a sinless life, yet he died a sinner's death, a death that you and I deserved. And the Bible says that he has taken our sin upon himself, and if we have faith in him, he would give us his righteousness. This is what we call the great exchange. You understand, you'll never understand how good the good news of the gospel is until you understand how lost you are. This is why we got to talk about sin from time to time. This is why we need to talk about our need for a Savior. Because if you understand how lost we are, oh my goodness, you'll understand how great and glorious Jesus is. We all need a Savior. It's not by our works. It's not by anything we could do. And the fact of the matter is most of us know that when we first come to Jesus. Almost all of us acknowledge, I've tried to do it my own way, but I'm still lost. And most of us sitting here in this room today have had that moment where we realize, I need to surrender my life. I can't save myself. I need a Savior. Have you had that moment? If you've not had that moment, we're going to pray for you before the day's done. There, there are moments of that, that, that salvation where we lay down our lives and say, Jesus, I need you. The problem is, what Paul was dealing with is there were people that started coming in afterwards and saying, yep, that's great, you received Jesus. Now you need to start doing this and this and this and this and this. If you want to be perfect, this is how you're going to do that. And I just think about, man, you just imagine if these guys come in and say, listen, you got to be circumcised. And I just think about the guys who were like, well, okay, that's probably what we got to do. They went out and got circumcised. And then that Sunday, they get Paul's letter. Eh, no need. 
miss the memo. I, I hope the Philippian jailer uh, wasn't one of those guys who did that. But really, you're like, why do you think you didn't get saved because of what you could do or not do? You didn't get saved because of the works that you did? Why do you think now you're going to be perfected by doing stuff? Why do you think now you're going to be perfected by, by fulfilling the law? Now listen, part of our press on is, yes, Hebrews 12 says that we press on to holiness. We're going to be a people that pursue to look more like God. I want you to understand that. I want to look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. Year to year, I want to grow in the Lord. I want to meet people that I knew 10 years ago. And Pastor Jacob, you have grown so much in the Lord. That ought to be all of our testimony. But we need to be cautious of spiritual pride. I don't know why it is. You might have been, you might have been in this service and you prayed for somebody and they get healed. And all of a sudden you start to think, I'm somebody. I have this great anointing upon my life. And all of a sudden, you begin to think it's something that you did. You know, it's backwards. I think about the Apostle Paul. I'm not going completely notes-free today, so I, I hope you guys are with me. But the Apostle Paul, you know, he did. I, I watch how this guy was. Why is it that most in the church today, we just like, we're, we're like, man, I get better and better and I'm more awesome and I'm more anointed. And we just like, we get this spiritual pride that just slowly builds up on the inside of us. That's not how Paul operated. You realize when Paul first gets saved, in the book of Romans, he, he made the statement, I am the least of the apostles. He says, yes, I understand. God has called me to a high office. I'm planting churches and raising up disciples. I'm an apostle, but I'm the least of the apostles. Peter, James, all these guys, they're greater than me. That's humble, right? But a few years later, the apostle Paul makes another statement, and he says, I am the least of the saints. This is years later. He's not moving up in his perspective of himself. He's going lower. He's like, of all the believers that exist today, I'm the least. I used to persecute. I was a hater of God. I was a persecutor of the church. I'm, I don't even deserve this. I'm the least of the saints. In his last letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, just before he was beheaded and went to be with the Lord, he made the statement, I am the chief. I am the greatest of all sinners, least of the apostles, least of the saints, the greatest of sinners. You wonder why God used him. You wonder why 2,000 years from now we're still reading his letters and being impacted by his message. He knew the closer he got to Jesus, the more and more he realized how unworthy he was, how low he was. Church, if that's not how we're growing in our relationship with God, I would submit to you you're moving the wrong direction. If your faith is built on your works, yes, you should be better today than you were 10 years ago. You should be walking more rightly with God. But that doesn't earn you anything. We look more like Jesus today, yes. But the more you come to know him, the more you realize, God, you are holy and you are mighty and you are wonderful. And I, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. 
And I'm not talking, again, I'm not talking Eeyore, we're going to be, you know, hating on ourselves or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. You understand, you're a son, you're a daughter. That's identity. So Paul's dealing with this. And he says, you want to reach perfection? It's not going to be through our efforts. It's not going to be through our attempt to uh, attain perfection. You can work, uh, but I'm just telling you, church, all of your work is going to reveal your need for a Savior. That's all it's going to come down to. And so you say, Pastor, but Paul said that he's pressing on to perfection. So if it's not through fulfilling the law, if it's not through doing more stuff, then how do we attain perfection? Well, the apostle Paul said, uh, and I love this, he says that I press on to the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Now, what in the world does that mean? The the language is a little confusing, but he's essentially saying how I'm going to press on to perfection is by doing what Jesus first did in me. When you say, well, what's that? Well, in Acts 22, 14, Paul is telling his story how he got saved. He shares about his Damascus Road experience, uh, how he encountered Jesus and how he committed his life to the Lord. And this is what was prophesied over him, Acts 22 and verse 14. It says, the God of our ancestors, this is a prophetic word over Paul. The God of our ancestors has chosen you, Paul, to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and what you have heard. The Lord from the first day Paul gets saved says, Paul, this is what your life is all about. To know him. Know him. See him. Hear him. That's your top priority. You understand, our greatest mission and our greatest goal in life, church, is to know him. It's to be near to him. It's to behold him and to be transformed into his image and his likeness. That's how lasting change and transformation, not just like, I'm going to force myself to do things for the Lord. No, the Bible says that when we look upon him, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says we look upon him with unveiled eyes. That happens when we give ourselves to Jesus in the ministry of the Holy Spirit allows us to look upon God. And the Bible says when we look upon him, we are transformed by him. Oh my goodness. You see the difference? On the one side, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to eat the right stuff. I'm going I'm to cut pieces of my body off. I'm going to do everything that I can. Think about this. And you still fall short. And on the other side, I'm going to seek the Lord. And I'm going to know him. And I'm going to look at him. And I'm going to hear his voice. And he transforms me. You understand the end result, yes, is to look like him. We're going to press on to holiness. We're going to press on to perfection. But it's not through our effort. It's going to come through our relationship to know him. You understand the day that I got married, we signed a contract, legal documents. We stood before witnesses and we made vows. And we consummated that covenant. 
We did all of those things, but let me, do you know how often as I have gone through my relationship with my wife now for, well, we've been married, this year will be 15 years. Do you know how often I have looked back? Let me look at that marriage contract again. Let me review again. What were the vows that we made that day? Do you know how often I've looked back to reference that to make sure I'm still doing good? Never. I have never looked back on I mean, I know generally what I, what I committed to her to do. But why? Why don't I need to look back at the paper, the legal stuff that was done? Because I live every day in relationship with her. And I know when she's happy with me. And I know when she's upset with me. She knows what I need and what I desire. And we're, we're walking, we're living in covenant relationship together. I know when we've blown it. And I know when we're doing good. And it's the very same way our relationship with the Lord should be. You shouldn't have to reference the Ten Commandments or read through a list of do's and don'ts to know, am I right with God? When you're living and walking in covenant relationship, you know. You know. Man, Jesus, I just love you and I love being in relationship. And you know when you've blown it. God, I'm sorry. Help me not to go there again. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I thought that. That's relationship. One, you're always going to fall short. Relationship, you're going to be transformed. You're going to be transformed into his image and his likeness. I don't know if, if you're getting blessed by this, but I'm getting blessed by this. I'm, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Paul said... He said, this, this is how we're going to press on to perfection. We're going to know him. And then we're going to witness to others what we've experienced. That's the second thing. We're going to witness to others what we've experienced. You understand, you can't take people where you've never gone before. If you've not learned how to rely in relationship with Jesus, you're not going to be able to lead other people into relationship with him. You may want to be able to break strongholds and cast out devils, but if you're still walking in bondage, you're not going to be able to lead other people into that. You understand? We're going to experience, and I think I'm going to spend next week really building on that because that's, that's a whole message in and of itself. But I, could my worship team, would you come? And, and we're going to pray about a couple things here today. My worship team would come, and uh, why don't we all stand all across the room right now? I have a lot more notes that I had in, in you can see all that on, on the Bible app. Um, what I felt like we needed to do today. felt like I wanted to ask us to repent of our striving, repent of our vain efforts to do. Understand, we're going to pursue, we're going to press, we're going to be intentional, right? But so often we get stuck in this trap where it's just like, if I can just do a little more. 
I can just go a day without cussing. Oh, then God will be happy. We need to lay down our vain attempts to be holy and walk in relationship with him who is holy. That's what it all comes down. That's where transformation comes. And then it's not trying. It's who you are. You understand the difference. He literally changes you. And it's not, well, I'm trying again today. I'm trying to know it. It becomes who you are. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're being transformed, the Bible says, from glory to glory. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Jacob, I've tried to earn my salvation. I've tried to do good enough to be accepted by him. Today, I'm asking you, stop trying and just receive what Jesus has already done. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I love Jesus and I committed my life to him. I feel like this is going to be most of us. And I'll, I'll just tell you. I walked through this with the Lord as I prepared this message. We all battle this. Where I love the Lord and I'm pursuing Him, but boy, I try and I try and I try really hard. Instead of sometimes you just need to stop trying and just dwell. Stop striving and just be in His presence. I want to invite you to the freedom of not striving, the freedom of not trying any longer. I don't know if this bears witness with you, but I, I, I like steps of faith. And if either one of those fits your heart, I want to invite you to take a step of faith today, a step of freedom. I'm laying down the law and legalism and the spirit of religion and, and my vain attempts to do, and I'm just going to step into relationship. Come on, if God is stirring your heart and you say, I, I want that, I want that freedom, I want you to begin to step out from where you're at, and I want you to begin to find a place right here in these altars. And just begin to talk to the Lord. Come on, come on. If that's you, just step out from where you're at.